Life from New York, it's Ask an Engineer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Ask Engineer. It's me, Lady Ada, with me on tonight's show, and on every show, Mr. Lady Ada on camera control, and also roaring like a lion. <laughs> uh, we've got a fun-filled show for you tonight with lots of Python news, new products, INPI, it's not out yet, and more uh, videos, 3D prints. We have it. Welcome it's a tonight. lot. Why don't we get right into it? Tell them what's the code on the show tonight code is what 10 percent off in the adamant store all the way up to 11 59 p.m eastern time that gets you 10 percent off in the store including any free stuff we have as you add to your card we talked about some of our live shows that we do including show and tell we just did show and tell just a few moments ago that's where we we're running a minute late there was a lot of projects tonight Desk of Lady Ada, where Lady Ada talks about what's on her desk. We'll be going over what we did this week, including the great search. Okay, JP's product pick of the week. That's a live broadcast from the Adafruit store inside of a product page. Discounts automatically applied. We'll show the highlight. We've got some retro tech. This is just a recap of a project that we did not too long ago. A really cool controller for the PlayStation. We got some advanced manufacturing, main New York City factory footage, a little bit of a home prototype speed up too this week. We got some 3D printing videos, really fun one with PropMaker. You know, Pedro did. We've got new product introduction, INMPI this week. It is in SATA. We got some top secret, some really cool stuff this week. We've been really busy with some new products. Speaking of, we got some coming soon new products this week. They're about to hit the store. We answer your questions. We do that on Discord, adafruit.it slash Discord. We got 37,000 people there, a few thousand people at any given time. Put your questions throughout the chat or just wait to the end and we'll get to them all. All that more on Ask Engineer. Bam. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. So there's been a lot going on. Um, free stuff. Um, you can get a Circuit Playground Express or a KB2040. Yeah. Um, we're, more freebies coming soon. More freebies coming we're soon. Freebie yeah. transition. And then also probably tomorrow-ish. Um, so this will be our new segment, sort of. So there was going to be a UPS strike. There's not a UPS strike. Maybe, Maybe. there will still be a strike. Who knows? But we needed to make sure we had all the forms of shipping available in case anything could happen, because that's the only way you can live life now, is have backups of backups of backups. So one of the things we had to do is pause battery shipments because all the different shipping systems handled it differently. But I think starting tomorrow, if you want to order anything with batteries, um, UPS is active again for that. And then we also have, what? Might even be active today. You could be watching this at any time. And then we have FedEx is the main shipping. We have Postal Service and we have DHL for International. However, um, we're working with these carriers to figure out how to get you the best rates because we can kind of turn off any of these now and and have more volume on one so we're trying to figure out how do we get the best possible shipping rates for you we don't add anything to shipping we do a pass through um you know some folks are like shipping's expensive yeah planet earth um it's how it is now um so we're going to just try to get the best shipping cost to you i'll always suggest like we're not the store to get the one thing Put stuff in your cart, get the multiple things, get free stuff, get free shipping after a certain tier. We're going to be adding that back as well. Um, that's the best deal. Um, if you want a one-off, you want one resistor, get it from DigiKey. The best thing to do. That's right. Um, wow, you just like covered everything. Yeah. We do live shows. We do. Like this one. Like this one and others. Um, so for show and tell tonight, there was a lot. 
Um, beginning, we talked about open source stuff with Scott. Yes. JP had a project where we're trying to jam as many waves as possible. Cool. Ambient technology. Maker Melissa. Making a gigantic display. No, he showed the prop maker. Remake of the um, prop maker. The previous was the feather wing on a feather M4, yeah. making a uh, lightsaber, which is what the prop maker was originally like designed yeah. for. But it was very complicated. Now the project is very simplified, less expensive, and he also uh, showed that um, what the prints look like. He got it from a service. So yeah. it's 30 bucks with shipping, beautiful 3D printer. Yeah, we're at the point where, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I like your projects, but I'm a 3D printer, man. And now it's like, no, here's a place you can send it to for 30 bucks, you get it. And there's, In a week. there's lots of things. Some makerspaces are still around, there's 3D printers, but generally speaking, um, it's a pretty good deal. Your time is pretty valuable. So if you can get like the best print for 30 bucks, not so I'll much. be honest, like we had a 3D printer and I was like, oh, I'll 3D print these stuff. I, we don't, I don't have time to put together. Yeah. Anymore. I knew we have a very good one too. Yeah. It, uh, it never seems to work when you need it. Um, so we also had DJ Devin should have Fitbit thing. Yeah. And then also, uh, I'll say it, it's an officially endorsed Adafruit hat. Um, oh, yeah, that's so cute. <laughs> uh, and then Mark stopped by with a lightning detector. Yeah, and it and worked for Frisbee. Bought out this really neat um, resistor. Yeah, that was interesting. Software because, generator? So calculator. You, know, you can do LED buttons. Sorry, you can do buttons as digital inputs, or that's normally like one pin per button. And you can have a matrix where you have like rows and columns and you scan them and you can put a diode in so you don't ghosting. Okay, that, there's that way. But apparently, you can also do an analog to digital matrix so you use one analog pin and you can read multiple buttons in and there's a limit you can't do more than like 12 buttons but you can have up to 12 buttons in a grid with different resistors on the rows and columns it's very interesting i've never seen this type of um input but if you only have one gpio pin available you can get it done yeah and then um flying things had a really cool update from a cosplay project where they're pressing their hand and it has different sounds and then also different things on the display. The, the display, I think it was like a flexible OLED or yeah. something. Very cool. And then Rex had an amazing badge um, that you just have to see. And there's this really neat um, side effect. Of the, <laughs> there's a side effect of the of the, the treatment of the PCB with the copper mm -hmm. that you got to see. So check that out. Cool. Um, I'm glad we were able to do show and tell because we rotate through the team. Um, and so it was a full house, so do check it out after this show, of course. Um, from the desk of Lady Ada, every week Lady Ada shows a bunch of stuff. We've been, so the part shortage has subsided a little bit. So after the 400 plus redesigns, Lady Ada has been doing, um, has been doing a ton of new products. That's why we're completely out of our mind with uh, caffeine and just like going a million miles an hour. And we have got a kid running around here too. Um, yeah, she's almost walking. Yeah, so that's going on. So uh, it's been around the clock, but um, we have a ton of new hardware design. So what did you show okay. this week on? I know. I feel like every week it's like, here's another big thing I'm yeah. starting. Um, you know, like I, Scott, I was in a meeting once with Scott, and he was like, "Baby's taking a nap," and I'm like, "Baby's napping. Time to start a six month long hardware project." Yeah. Um. So this uh this week, one of the things that um I'm restarting is. In 2020, I was working with these um, really nice high-res TFT displays um, to uh, to create basically like the Pi TFT, but with a high resolution um, using a 3.9 inch uh, 800 by 480 display like used for a phone. 
but like 2020 was just a kind of a mess and then 2021 was also really a mess and then i couldn't get tfts for 2021-22 but tft prices are back down to like a reasonable cost now and i can get chips and so i was going to revisit this project and like get it back running again and i realized um i can probably also get this ICN 6211 chip, which is a chip that can do DSI to um, TTL dot clock displays. And um, recently I've seen more companies, you know, like I think Waveshare and DF Robot, they have displays that plug into just the DSI port and they use the ICN 6211 and they they configure it over I squared C. Um, and of course, all that stuff is closed source and like they don't release any of the code or the schematics or anything or, or how it's done. So I was like, okay, well, let's just redo it in an open source way so we can try all different types of, types of screens. So not just 800 by 480, but square and round and like there's half round and there's like bar type displays. Um, so I'm I'm uh, hiring um, local code ninja, Timon, uh, who worked on some previous display work with us um, for Raspberry Pi. Uh, to write library code for the ICN 6211 and also help with um, committing PRs to uh, Raspberry Pi upstream to add support for all these different displays yeah. um, in an open source way so that other people can use them. Especially since the um, apparently the compute modules, they have two DSI ports, but not a lot of other GPIOs. So it's like if you want to have two displays on a compute module, you could do it. So basically, we're going to have two gigantic eyeballs. Yeah. Lady is being very diplomatic. I will be a little bit more direct. There are tons and tons and tons of people that buy stuff from lots of companies. They get it and it doesn't work. There's no form support. They're angry. Um, one of them's WaveShare. Another one's DFRobot. Sorry. Um, they use our open source code. Totally fine. They often take our names off of it. Not cool. Um, so the instead of being angry about it and saying it's not fair china 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 or whatever um what we're going to do is just make sure there's open source code for all the displays out there yes someone is going to copy it blah, 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 blah. they're going to do that anyways um but we're going to have uh something for people that will be updatable so a lot of the stuff that happens a lot of the challenges that we've seen that customers have from other companies is when raspberry pi updates the, the kernel modules, the kernel don't, modules don't update so now you have something that doesn't work yeah and you're forced to use an older version of raspberry pi or something so we're just gonna like fix all of that <laughs> and you'll be able to use any display that you bought with the open source code from adafruit even if you get it from someone else fine but if you bought it from us that would be nice too um but we have that's our big it's a big yeah, effort for the year. doing it so we're starting with you know 800 by 480 um you know because the dsi port is a little bit simple it doesn't have like i don't say smarts i don't call it stupid it's it does what it does yeah. but stuff like handling the backlight and handling touchscreen has to be done separately so um you know we're gonna get to all of it but um we're just starting off with like just showing uh configuring um a simple uh you know five inch display and then you know we're ordering pcbs so you'll see you know as my pcbs yeah. and tfts come in um, you'll see that we're going to start adding uh, support for all these different it, displays. Yeah, so if you bought displays from all these other companies because, you know, we didn't have one or whatever, don't worry, we'll have stuff that makes it all work. Make it work. And, and also, we'll, we're going to learn to see because it's like we'll have the code open. People can modify it and be like, hey, here's an improvement. Oh, well, so that's what we're doing. Okay, and then you do the great search. That's when you go to digi.com and you help people find things they might need. What was the great search this week? Okay, so this week uh, on the topic of displays um, on my Raspberry Pi 4, I broke the 
connector on the camera display and i was like oh you, you know you don't want to throw away um the whole raspberry pi just because the, the little clip broke off you can just get a replacement connector and put the clip back on that's rescuing your board uh so people have somebody actually emailed and said hey like what's the part number for this um because you know the raspberry pi schematic i think doesn't have the part number but um i show on digikey how you can find a, a 50 cent replacement part Alrighty. And if you need help finding something or if you need a substitution part or if you're like, I wonder how to find the right thing for the thing, um, you can get a hold of us easily in every form and we'll you uh, do a great search for you. I will. Yeah. Okay, JP's product pick of the week this week. Take it away, JP. It is the i2S Amplifier BFF. Here you can see I have the i2S Amplifier BFF soldered to the back side of a Cutie Pie RP2040. And then I've just plugged in one of these nice little uh, speakers that have the PicoBlade connectors. So you can pull that right off depending on how your setup is, uh, is meant to be put together. This is playing three wave files that I have actually all playing at the same time and then I'm just um, changing their output levels in the mixer, in audio mixer all happening inside of CircuitPython, and they're just looping sounds. Um, and you can see this will work really well for projects that are maybe small props, little enclosures, uh, costume things, sound players, toys, little synthesizers, uh, and the like. So uh, really nice, easy, basically plug and play. It is the i2S amplifier BFF for Cutie Pie and Zhao. Okay, and JP's workshop is tomorrow. On Friday, deep dive with Tim and da, 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 special guest Scott. He's going camping, but he's like, I'm going to stop by. So check it out. Scott's back doing some deep dives. Uh, Tim will be there as well. If you want to learn about the inner workings of CircuitPython, this show's for you, 5 p.m. Eastern. Let's do some retro. All right. So this retro tech is a little different. Um, we had used this in a project, and the photos that I wanted to get um, I didn't time it right. So we did the project first, but now I got a chance to post these photos. What we're trying to do is have a virtual retro museum online of all of this cool uh, old hardware game controllers and everything and use them in, in projects. So this is, uh, well, actually, Lady Ada, do you know what this is? Um, it's a PlayStation <laughs> controller. Yeah. So uh, it's not what I thought it was at first. I thought it was like some type of color wheel that you know you would turn the wheel and um it was like a painting program yeah it was like picture. yeah or like this this calibrates your monitor nope this is um from uh takara uh this is the name of the company that made it and it was for the game of life and some other like weird games this is from 2000 uh and it's a playstation controller and you spin it it's a spinner wheel it's a spinner wheel and um Definitely one of the weirder controllers. You can get these on eBay. And if you get these on eBay, you're probably going to say, well, what would I possibly do with this? And we have a guide um, that's available. Uh, it's the Game of Life controller, uh, yeah. controller for PlayStation. Um, you can check out our Learn system. It was released in 2003. looks like a roulette wheel, and it came with Game of Life, the money battle. Um, There's a spinnable central piece, and then it's basically a random number generator for multiple buttons where you can bet on specific 
numbers or ranges. Um, we showed how to uh, turn it into something else. So you can use a QtPy or P2040 using CircuitPython, and then you can use that controller to um, use a USB HID keyboard, um, send in mouse commands, or make a USB MIDI controller, which is exactly the right thing to do with this. Um, so it's got a funky look. It's got the, the buttons, but then it's got this kind of color. I actually kind of like the look of it. Yeah, I think it's it's beautiful. I mean, all these old controllers of this like future we were promised. I mean, this is just neat. Like there's a lot of um, curving there. Yeah, kind of like anything that um, has this. Uh, this is 2003, but um, I think it was originally introduced in the late 90s. Definitely has this like lawnmower man aesthetic. Like yeah. this is what Joe, Very, Joe like, would use to VR like, controller. To, yeah, to to suck in all the knowledge before he takes over the world's computers. Okay, that's this week's <laughs> retro. Okay. Remember when we met? You made me watch Lawnmower Man. Yeah, gotta watch that. Again. Don't watch the next one. Then. Um, Python hardware time. All right, the big news is every single year we do CircuitPython Day. So CircuitPython Day is this month, August 18th, 2023. It's a Friday. We have a full day of programming and more. Um, we'll get the word out for folks to participate. You'll be able to pop into our shows. It'll just be a full day celebrating all things CircuitPython, Python on hardware. Join us. Um, our newsletter went out this week, Lady Ada. Yeah. Um, and the newsletter has a bunch of projects. It's conference season. I'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. um, CircuitPython 8.2.1 was released. Um, anything super big with this one? Like, bit, like, so it's a release, and there's a lot of bug fixes, and a couple of board, a lot of boards got released. But the really interesting thing is that we are uh, getting started on what's going to be in Python 9. Um, yeah. and USB host is one of the things that, you know, it's not a secret. You see Scott working on it. Yeah. Um, USB host is going to be in there. Um, so it'll be kind of neat. Cool. Um, we did a recap of the CircuitPython hack chat. Also Hackaday did a recap on their site. You can read that as well. Um, we'll talk about some, uh, whippersnapper stuff soon. CircuitPython day, MicroPython added Laura support. Um, Tom's hardware interviews, EduBlock founder, Josh Lowe. You can see a lot of cool CircuitPython stuff in that interview. Um, tons of Python resources, but the thing I wanted to ask you this week, Lady Ada, because it is DEF CON season, it is badge season, we just saw badges on yeah. show and tell, is um, why in the world would someone ever choose Python over other ways to do embedded development for conference badges? And the reason I ask is today there was a blog post because there is uh, Board Hack 2023. NFC badges, and I did get a chance to talk to the uh, developer of this over email, and they said some really nice words, but I thought, huh, this would be a good time to ask Lady Ada, like, when people are thinking about making a badge, why would they choose something like MicroPython or CircuitPython versus other ways? Okay. Not saying anything's better. There's just different different strokes, different folks. But why? what would be the benefits of choosing a scripting language like Python for a conference badge? Well, one thing about conference badges is they're never done on time. <laughs> they're always they're always rushed, which is you know totally that, normal. They're fun. they're a project that you do for fun with friends. And you're usually kind of rushing around to get up, you know, 10 to a couple hundred badges done before an event. 
Um, and so speed of development is the most important. And what isn't important is um, not security as in like, obviously it's at DEF CON and people want to hack on stuff, but it's not like you have to like keep all your code um, super private and, you know, compiled. And um, it's not like you have to make it difficult for people to work on. You want to make it really easy for people to work on. So one of the things about using embedded languages is, and you know, I've covered this every time we do talks on MicroPython, CircuitPython, is the speed of iteration, especially for these big chips like the RP2040, big flash memories, and the ESP32, which has like a very intense compilation process, is every time you want to do something, you're like compiling and updating, compiling, updating, and it's and it's minutes. Like, and I and I do it all the time. I'm, even with like platform IO, you're kind of like waiting around a little bit with embedded python that speed is like it's so instant like you can try things and you're just like so so fast like seconds like less than seconds um especially with circuit python where on save it restarts and so if you're doing development on drivers or on led animations or anything where you're like look I, it doesn't have to be like perfect polish it just has to work good enough for me to go to this event and the second big thing is the ease for which you can get other people involved you know, it definitely always you you have usually your booth, booth, and you have. <laughs> we were we were playing a word game. How many things have the word booth in it? And I did phone booth, voting booth, and then we did trade booth, and then there was listening booth. Anyways, we played word games. He was very good at the the booth one. I was not really on top of that one. He he definitely won. He definitely won that version of the game. Um, at your booth, you're giving away the badge. Everyone's wearing them. People want to hang out. And they're like hanging out with their laptops and they're like, oh, I want to change the animations or I want to change the message or I want to hack on it. I want to reverse engineer, debug something. And especially this is like an NFC chip over here. And you're like, you know, you want to read NFC tags and maybe emulate them. And, you know, I love I love embedded development, but it's definitely like now you're installing another version of Python. Now you have a new IDE up. Oh, you've got the long version of ARM GCC. And then like six hours later, maybe you can compile and upload and now you need drivers and somebody's on a mac and it's like x86 and it's the m2 and they don't it's not the you know they don't have it, it's not signed none of that matters when you're dealing with embedded languages you plug it in it shows up as a disk drive or you're using thani or you're using you know vs code or whatever and you can instantly start coding the code is visible there it's another thing people are like what's what code is on here i don't even know how do i edit it because you have to like just get back to what the default code is before you can even start modifying it but if it's an embedded interpreted language, it, the interpreted language script is right there and you can immediately work on it. You know, I've done workshops where it's like 45 minutes just to get people to install the right drivers, to install the IDE, to like plug in whatever. That's all gone with um, embedded uh, interpretive languages, especially important at a place where like people are drunk, they're coming and going, they're going to a talk, they come back, they're like, shit, where was I? Wait, you know, we're you know setting this on fire we're like pushing shipley into the fountain at the alexis park uh you don't have time to install an ide you want to get onto it so that's why i think okay circuit my, python's my, great my little uh odds and ends to add to what you said is um they show up as usb drives if you use something like circuit python so that's super easy ought to be above laptops um, the other thing is interpreted languages are great for uh, strings so like oh, yeah. internet stuff and that's where yeah, everything nice that's things. where everything is heading um, like you know, you reverse and drink something, you get the strength and the data. You want to parse yeah. out bits and bytes and and then shift things around. A lot of these things, if they're not 
maintainable when you get home you just toss it or it just sits on a shelf forever um, the way we set up uh, CircuitPython, for example, when you go to circuitpython.org slash downloads, there's always a new firmware for whatever you have too. So you can use this badge. And we know people have used uh, badges with CircuitPython for years for other projects. So the developer of this particular one, I said, hey, can I share this? And Thomas said, yes, thank you. I really like CircuitPython for stuff like this. The low barrier of entry with the decisions of mass storage and auto reload on save. I find it great, especially for people who aren't programmers or electronic engineers. Wow. Yeah. That's so, the point. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, we were on, right. yeah. And like, you know, good news, bad news. We were on Hackaday recently and there was some crummy comments. Uh, there's purists that say you should never have a scripting language on a microcontroller. But there were some people that had some insightful comments and they said, look, expert gatekeeper jerk, I'm paraphrasing. Um, some people want to get started and yeah, they can get to that but they got to start somewhere. So don't be a jerk. Everyone was beginner once in their life. Um, not everyone is, um, you know, God yet. So this is a great way to get started and you can always add more complexity and skills. But if you want to get started, especially when people haven't been doing embedded development for 60 years or 50 years or whatever, um, this is a way to get there. And I guess the only thing I'd say is I think you get a more diverse, interesting group of people when you allow beginners in and you have beginners and something for them. than if it's just like you're the expert that worked on AS400 and there's like four of you left on planet Earth, like I think you want to meet new people, too. So anyways, that's Python on hardware. That's Python on hardware. You can get all of this exciting news and more Ada for daily delivered every single week. Okie dokie. Let's keep going. Um, we have some news. Adafruit IO has exciting updates. Um, you may have seen that we have a thousand plus devices, including Whippersnapper, but wait, there's more. There's 20 development boards that work with Whippersnapper IO. Brett has been really busy with this. We also have been adding more folks on the team. There's a lot more devices yes. coming. So. so the boards right now that if you want to start checking this out, um, anyone can add boards, but right now the Raspberry Pi Pico W, the Feather Hazai SP32, the SP32S2 Feather, the Reverse TFT Feather, the TFT Feather, the Feather with no PS RAM, the 2 megabyte PS RAM, the TFT Feather, the S3 TFT Feather, the V2 Feather, the Huzzah, like it just goes on and on and on and on. And on. A lot of issues, but remember, if people want to submit their own boards, it's it's really easy. Um, you, we don't have to support just our boards. We're very happy to support others. Um, as long as it's within platform IO, which I think like, you know, anything that's ESP32 is definitely in there. Um, please submit it, you know, just yeah. like CircuitPython. We have a tutorial on how to do it. Uh, we would love to support other people's hardware. I just, we're just so busy checking yeah. our own bugs. So, we haven't gone around. To so this is much like, um, what we did with CircuitPython. There is more non-Adafruit boards than Adafruit boards. So Whippersnapper. Um, you know, there'll be Arduino boards in there. There's there there'll be a lot of non non-native boards. That's why we we did that. If um if you look at the other IO or cloud services, you're locked to their hardware. We're not doing that. Because that's that's how we are. Um okay. It's open source hardware news. Uh speaking of, uh we were a little high, behind with our certifications, but we're getting caught up. Um I think we have 590 plus uh Oshawa certified boards we definitely have like we're up to like 600 yeah we have to like submit them yeah we got we got caught just in a backlog but um 
Do They're it. happening. Yeah. And we're also going to try to do it as we have new products come out. We're going to do the certification then, yeah. not try to batch them out because I think that that um, might work out. And and again, like if you've been watching the show, the reason we do this is a lot of. I'm seeing a lot of people say how they we love open source, we love users, but then everything's actually closed and hard to do. If you really like users then you can send the signal, which is, here's all the stuff in a way that you can use it without ever talking to us ever again. Um, what's the phrase? If you know you love one, set them free. You know, if you love your users, um, free the files. Um, so we have these guides. Um, yes. I have one video, you want to talk about the guides we put up? Yeah, week? we have some guides this week. Um, Liz wrote up a guide for the TSC 2046. It's an SPI to touch screen controller. We also have the TSC 2007, which is the I2C version. Um, we're going to be using these in some coming up boards. Uh, they are a replacement for the TMPE, STMPE 610 and 811, which discontinued over COVID. Very sad. Um, we also have this cool uh, lightsaber prop maker build using the new prop maker RP2040, which makes this build much, much easier than before. Um, the prints is much easier to put together. There's a lot less soldering. It's only like three or four solder points. Um, so it's much easier for beginners. I could say it's actually a beginner project now, whereas before it kind of wasn't. Uh, everything's integrated. And of course, the speaker is also a digital speaker. So the quality of the audio is much better. And the Kenny also wrote up a guide uh, for the uh, uh, analog devices, Featherwing. Um, this uh, it was an older product, but we never wrote a guide for it, even though we have guides for the individual sensors. Now we just have like one tutorial that covers both. Um, and also, Katni wrapped up the ESP32 S2 reverse TFT feather guide. Um, we didn't have the circuit Python essentials, now we do. Okay, we have a video that um, I thought we would play. It's yeah. from the MIDI project from Liz. In this project, you'll build a MIDI controller that uses 16 rotary encoders to send MIDI control change messages. Inside the case is a Feather RP2040 running CircuitPython code. The rotary encoders are soldered to quad rotary encoder breakouts connected over I2C. The interrupt pins on the breakouts are being used so that the I2C port doesn't have to be constantly pulled to check for any rotary encoder movement. This makes reading the rotary encoders a lot faster. The MIDI Featherwing lets you use a traditional DIN5 MIDI cable to connect to your music gear. A lot of music gear has MIDI functionality for controlling various parameters, like this guitar pedal. In this demo, the MIDI messages are changing the selected effect, which is otherwise controlled by one of the toggle switches. You can update the CircuitPython code to use MIDI messages for your preferred effects pedal, synth, or noisemaker. To see how you can build your own, check out the Learn Guide at learn.adafruit.com. And rolling right into some manufacturing.
All right, that's factory footage this week. Let's do some 3D printing. We're going to roll right in. Do a speed up IMPI after that. The new products. Top secret. We're zooming. Become a Jedi or Sith and build your own lightsaber with 3D printing and electronics from Adafruit. Powered by Adafruit's RP2040 prop maker Feather, this iconic prop just got a whole lot better. The all-in-one dev board is engineered for making props with motion-activated lights and sounds with better sounding digital audio and a lot less soldering. It's our easiest build yet. This new lightsaber features a color-changing mode so you can experience a new vibe whenever the mood strikes. The RP2040 Prop Maker Feather is Adafruit's best dev board for your next prop build. Featuring the RP2040 chip, it's got a 3-watt digital I2S amp for excellent audio quality, NeoPixel driver, and USB-C for battery charging and programming. The hilt was redesigned to be more ergonomic and the parts screw together for an easier assembly. The pommel can be unscrewed and the feather slides out of the hilt for reprogramming or charging the battery. The parts can be 3D printed without any supports using filament or you can 3D print them with a resin-based 3D printer. If you don't own a 3D printer, you can use an online 3D printing service. We had these parts printed on an SLA 3D printer using black resin. The service also sanded the parts for a smooth matte finish and the parts only cost us 30 US dollars. The CAD model is open source and parametric so you can customize the design or use the models of the electronics to create your own. Programmed in CircuitPython, the code, libraries, and audio files are all accessible, making it customizable on just about any computer. The onboard accelerometer is used to read movement and tap detection for the swings and hits. The button uses the debounce library so that a long or short press can be used for cycling between the different modes. Long press to go in and out of the color changing mode. The background audio lets you know when it's active and the RGB LED matches the color of the NeoPixels. Just plug in a USB-C cable to start charging and the Feather shows up like a USB drive making programming much more accessible. We think CircuitPython is the best for making advanced props even if you're just getting started. To learn how to build your own, check out the guide at learn.adafruit.com. We had a great time remaking this project and brought it to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disney World. Being able to go from Jedi to Sith was super fun and the kids really enjoyed cosplaying with it. We hope this inspires you to check out the RP2040 Prop Maker Feather for your next project.
and Ada Fruit this week. It is inside Lady Ada. What is the MPI of the week this week? I'm glad you asked. This week's is a Sensata. We've not covered them before, uh, but them and Cryden, I think Cryden is their sub-brand, make solid-state relays, and that's what we're going to talk about. Their Series 1 Hockey Puck SSRs. Um, they have a bunch of... This is a generic image, the one we've got actually triggers off of uh, DC at uh, a lower voltage. Um, but uh, DigiKey carries a lot of relays. Like I actually kind of went to the relay section. They have like 30,000 different options. And relays look usually something like this. Um, Crichton, since I don't, don't have non-solid state relays, they, they only make those, but this is a mechanical relay. Um, and this image from the DigiKey site shows on the right, you have um, an electro, sorry, on the left, you have an electromagnet. Um, and when current goes through that uh, copperish coil, it uh, turns into a magnet, which then um, pulls the two flanges on the right together and make the contact uh, bridge. They join together, thus connecting um, the circuit. And, you know, people have been using electromagnetic relays for a very, very long time, and they're inexpensive. And again, there's hundreds of thousands of them available, different sizes, uh, configurations, currents, etc. They can switch AC or DC. All's good, but there's one, there's actually two kind of big deal problems with um, uh, mechanical relays. Um, one is that, and this is this is the one that happens the most, is they have to be replaced after a while because the contacts are only rated for a certain amount of clicks, connections and disconnections. Um, after a while, especially if you're switching high currents and um, high voltages, you'll get arcing on the contacts, and the contacts, even if they're gold-plated, will eventually start corroding. And you see, uh, this is an image from um, Wikipedia on the right, on the on the you know middle left, that's what a clean contact set looks like. On the middle right, that's what um, corroded contacts look like. And so, a lot of relays are designed to be plug in to um, unplug them basically and replace them when they've reached uh, their life limit. And so often, you know, you're like, oh, the local stoplights uh, stop working. It's because the relays inside broke and they just have to be replaced. The other thing with mechanical relays is they're slow, like the electromagnet has to turn on and then the magnet has to pull that um, uh, flange of metal over from left to the right. And so um, they're not fast. You can't, for example, use them to like PWM to dim lights or dim, um, you know, high uh, power heaters or whatever. Uh, you can only use them to turn on and off, which is, you know, again, fine. Um, but sometimes you want more control. And that's where an SSR comes in. So there are um, a lot. There's many families um, from the uh, in sizes from uh, Crichton Sensata. Um, we're going to just talk about Series One, but they have a, a couple different uh, variations. Some of them can do AC. Some of them do DC. Some of them do uh, have back-to-back. SCRs and some of them have thyristors and you know they have documentation showing all the, the differences between why I might want one or the other and these are often used in you know robotics automotive um, automation where you're switching huge amounts of current um, for example you know we had our oven serviced uh, only about a month ago so you have to open up the oven and you can see um, on the bottom there those blue things if we zoom in those are the controllers for the heating elements um, which are, you know, like up to 100 amps total um, across the, all of the different um, heating zones. So these are like, you know, easily 20, 40 
amps at uh, 200 plus volts. You can see um, the you know hockey puck style relay down there, each, each blue one wired up to each set of heaters, multiple heaters for top and bottom. Um, so not surprising that they use SSRs, you want something that's reliable, um, that can switch a huge amount of current uh, and won't fail on you, especially you don't want an oven to fail and the contact sticks and then it like stays on, that's no good. Um, this latest family from uh, Cardum has a couple, you know, nice uh, niceties added, um, basically improving thermal performances and um, making, you know, cables, the internal connections thicker. So inside this hockey puck design is a circuit board that has, you know, an opto isolator and um, circuitry that will switch on and off the AC current output. Um, so, you know, the in inside of it is not that complicated. So you want something, you basically want to make sure that you have one that's easy to heat sink, has good accessories, fits well, is designed safely. Um, some of the things I like is that, uh, you know, on the top left, they have um, anti-rotation barriers on the terminal blocks. And on the uh, back, they have a really nice um, flat area for the heat sink to connect, which we'll talk about. Um, so if you look for the this family of SSRs, at DigiKey, there's about 3,000 options. Again, we're only going to talk about like one in particular, but um, all, all of them have very similar setups. Um, you you want to make sure that you're, it's rated for your voltage, input and output, and uh, particularly some of them only do AC, some of them can do DC as well. Um, you'll see here like the wiring diagram that shows the inside of it, and then you can have the load um, on either side. Uh, but they are opto isolated, which is kind of nice. Um, and a lot of them you can drive from little as three volts DC. You tend to be able to drive them from DC or AC, but um, the uh, output sometimes you can only drive AC depending on what's uh, inside. Um, for example, this one that you know the one I picked uh, can do up to two hundred eighty volts AC, up to ninety amps, and can be controlled from three to three to. Uh, volts. There's two output types. There's the, the zero cross and instantaneous. Um, it is easier on everybody if you only switch current on or off on the zero crossing, um, or at least, you know, switch off on the zero crossing or switch on the zero crossing, because then you don't have um, as much inrush current. However, there are some times where you might want to turn on or off in the middle of the cycle. And so um, some are kind of set up to do one or the other. It's another one of the configurations that's often set up. All these have the same kind of chassis mount. Um, and they have uh, different current ratings. You're gonna pay more for bigger current ratings. So they start at 10 amps, they go up to 125 amps. Um, but each one of them has um, basically the same forward voltage. And that's the thing you have to watch out for when using SSRs. One thing that's nice about relays is besides just being you know inexpensive and plentiful is they don't need heat sinking because uh the contact um resistance is nearly negligible there's no circuitry inside so you don't have a forward uh voltage drop you don't want to drop across it whereas these if you see kind of on the top area middle um they say uh maximum on state voltage drop at rate of current 1.15 so that's 1.15 uh ohms which means that um as you are sorry, at volts, which means as your curtain goes up, you know, 10 amps, now your peak dissipation is 11 and a half watts up to 100 um, amps. Now you're talking about um, uh, 100, you know, 100 and sorry, 115 
um, watts that you might have to dissipate. And you know, these come up to 90 amps. So yeah, we're talking about like 100 watt dissipation. And the circuitry inside definitely, definitely cannot handle um, dissipating that much current through the past transistors on the output. So what you definitely need to do is have heat sinking for them. And that's a, a very common issue with SSRs is, you know, you're like, how come I can't uh, control the current that I think I can? It's because you're not um, dissipating the current off of it. Uh, you're not dissipating the power off of the the body of the SSR. So um, Cridem has some documentation showing here's how you do the calculation. You basically treat it like a, you know, it's a transistor, but it's just very mechanically large. Maybe I'll show it on the overhead real fast. Okay. I happen to have this. Um, so this is the, um, really, I just got the, the, you know, it's only, I think, 25, uh, 25 amps out maximum, the 1225, uh, low voltage input, high, uh, up to only up to 100. Yeah, so the 12 here is 120 volts AC and 25 amps. So this is kind of the least expensive, most common for basic uh, American or Japanese power. And then on the back, you see you use these to uh, bolt onto here, and this is your nice flat um, heatsink surface. So don't forget to also pick up a heatsink. Uh, and they come in different sizes for the different um, amount of uh, degrees per watt you'll need to dissipate. Do the math, right? You don't. You can get away with, looks like the HS172 if you're only dissipating 10 watts. But if you're doing, you know, 100 watts, uh, maybe I'll have to check out that HS2201DR, the gigantic thing in the middle there. Um, they're going to be more expensive the bigger they are so and of course they'll take up more mechanical space i have so far not seen any actively cooled ssrs i think that they're not done because it's just another uh, thing that could possibly go wrong with your setup um okay next up um they also have covers yes i actually got one of these it's quite nice um cheap ssrs don't come with covers some of these you know the ssrs actually come with them already uh, attached in but i really like it uh, it's a nice clear safety cover uh, protect you from the SSR, it's high voltage, and protect the SSR from you. Uh, you don't want your oily fingers um, getting all over the contacts and uh, possibly loosening them. That's no good. Um, so this is the one I picked, you know, but there's a, a gigantic family of them. But uh, this is the uh, 25 watt, uh, sorry, 25 amp, 120 volt AC version. Um, what I particularly liked about it is you could control it from as little as three volts DC. Um, we have a video that they post showing how to test it, which is a common thing I've seen from people. They're like, I understand there's no, I, I'm doing ohm, you know, I'm doing a, a contact measurement using an ohmmeter on the output when I switch it and I'm not getting a beep. Why not? Because it's solid state, it's not mechanical. Uh, so let's check out the video. Uh, yeah. Longest video um, for this segment, but we think it's worth it. Really good. So watch it. Welcome to this edition of Crydom Tech Lab. One of the most common questions we receive through Crydom Tech Support is, how does one perform a simple operational on-off test on a solid state relay? We will demonstrate such a test here today. Unlike electromechanical relays that can be given a basic test with a continuity checker or ohmmeter, solid-state relays SSRs, require a minimum amount of load current to switch. Testing with a meter does not present enough of a load on the SSR to allow it to turn on, and there is no mechanical contact closure within to show continuity on the meter. 
Additionally, since an SSR is by definition a relay with no moving parts, there is no audible click to provide confirmation that the input is actuating the output. All of that being said, the basic setup and operational bench testing of an SSR is quite simple. Note that line voltage will be present during this test on various terminals, so be careful. For this demonstration, we'll be testing a Crydon D2450. This is a DC input, 240V, 50A AC output SSR. Since this particular relay output is usable on AC line voltages from 24 to 280V AC, and requires only a minimum load current of 40mA, using a standard 25W lamp and a 120V source is perfectly adequate. The wiring is quite simple. Here are the connections. One side of the 120V AC line goes to one of the SSR output terminals. It doesn't matter which, either number 1 or number 2. The other side of the solid state relay goes to one side of the load, and the other side of the load comes back to the other remaining AC line connection. For testing purposes, there is no particular attention needed for hot or neutral connections. A solid state relay will switch either leg. The last item needed is the input power signal. With a 3 to 32 volt DC input SSR, such as the Crytom D2450, a single good 9 volt battery is a convenient input source. Just be sure to observe the polarity. The plus of the 9 volt battery needs to go to the plus terminal number 3 of the relay input. If the SSR to be tested is an AC input type rather than a DC input as this is, the input signal would of course need to be the appropriate voltage. The first test step is to simply apply the line voltage while observing the lamp. With the D2450 being a normally open relay, the lamp should remain off when power is first applied. If the lamp is on at this step, then the output of the SSR is shorted and therefore bad. If the lamp is off, the next step is to see if the output will switch on when the input is applied. By touching the 9V battery terminals to the input terminals of the relay, the lamp should come on if the SSR is good. Removing and applying the battery should correspondingly flash the lamp on and off. As seen here, this solid state relay passes the basic operational test. There are many more detailed tests that are performed on SSRs at the factory during production but a simple bench test performed as shown provides a quick indication of SSR operation. We hope this has been helpful. Thanks for watching this edition of Crydom Tech Lab. Okay, we're zooming. We're zooming. We have a couple of, it, it, they're not out yet, they're coming soon, but I wanted to show them off. Um, one is I've got this PC joystick to Seesaw converter. So if you have one of these old school joysticks and you want to connect to I squared C, uh, you'll be able to do it with this breakout board that has an AT Tiny that acts as a Seesaw converter. So you can do the analog reads for the joystick and the buttons as well. It's also IRQ and it's like fully assembled and you just plug in your joystick. So this is coming soon. Um, Next week we'll have a demo. This would have been the star. We'll have them in shortly, but this is hot off the press. Yes, these also came in and uh, this week was a little nutty. So I didn't get to make the tester yet, but coming soon is the Metro RP2040. 
Uh, it's got your RP2040 chip. It's got two ways of doing debug, either the Pico probe or the SWD port. It's got the Arduino shape, USB Type-C for programming uh, and upload, uh, all the Arduino pins, plus um, SPI, I2C, uh, DC inputs, uh, 6 to 12 volts, micro SD card, um, which is also wired up for SDIO for people who want to do SDIO configuration stuff. Uh, NeoPixel on board, um, I mentioned 16 megabytes of flash, the buttons are on the edges. And uh, a funky thing, because um, I wanted to make sure that you could either use the Metro with um, a numeric pin order, 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 through 13, or logical pin order where the first two pins, usually D0 and D1, are the hardware serial. Um, there's a little switch so you can slide and switch the orientation of them. Um, also an on-off switch for the DC jack. So, you know, basically you want to upgrade your um, Metro designs. You have something that's needs an Arduino sh uh, shape. You want to use a shield with it, but you want the power and flexibility of the RP2040 with all those PIOs. This will be great. So coming next week. Jumping right into top secret, then we're going to do some questions. Then we're Audi. We're gonna play two quick videos. Lydia's gonna talk about what's on the other side. You're gonna like this one. Here we go. Or right, Lydia, what is this? It's ten o'clock at night. Do you know where your hardware is? Well, you will when you have this RTK board. This is a precision GPS uh, and real-time kinematics location shield that we've designed here. Um, so I got two of them. I don't even talk about how expensive these are. So it was really stressful when I first plugged in the USB, and I was like, I really hope it enumerates. Um, but this actually has native USB, and I've got it connected here. I soldered on a, or, yeah, sorry, an SMA connector, and this is going to a U-Blox antenna that's out the window. Uh, thankfully, the window isn't too far away from my desk. And you can see I've even got pulse per second, uh, RTK signal. And then um, what's interesting is that this just shows up as like a COM port. And then over here, I've got the U-Blox U-Center. And you can see it's seeing satellites and data. So a really good start. Um, next up, I have to figure out how to connect, you know, one of these as a base station to one of these as a rover and communicate between the two. Um, I might use our new Metro S3 as the transport layer. So, you know, solder this on top and then um, use this either ESP now, perhaps, or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth Low Energy uh, to transport the RTK data between the two. And then um, they can tell exactly how far apart they are. So uh, just started like five minutes ago. Just plug this in. But thankfully, um, we're off to a good start. Early data, what is this? This is a uh, 5H800 by 480 display. And it's connected up to an ICN6211. This is a very interesting chip. Um, it's not very well documented. But what it does is it takes DSI, so MIPI signal, and converts them to RGBTTL. So it's got like 8-bit red, 8-bit green, 8-bit blue, V-sync, H-sync, data enabled, on, off, all that good stuff, pixel clock. Um, so normally, you know, if we were going to drive a display like this from a Raspberry Pi, you'd either connect to the HDMI port, which means you need an HDMI to TTL converter, and that's like the RTD2662 and friends, or like a TFP401. But what's nice about this chip is it doesn't use any of the GPIO, like they're not connected, and it doesn't use the HDMI, um, and you still get really good quality video, and this chip is like only two bucks. So um, this is a fun little demo coming soon to the Adafruit shop. 
Okay, so uh, this is a photo from this book. This is the the board. Why is this a big deal? Uh, this is cool because, um, you know, historically, if you wanted to connect displays to a compute module board or Raspberry Pi, you'd have to use either all the DPI pins, all the GPIO to connect to DPI display, or HDMI, which requires like a high power HDMI to TTL converter. Um, there are existing projects that use this ICN6211 to convert DSI to TTL, but like none of them are open source and documented. None of them are going to make it easy for you to add your own screen. I want to make it easy. So I'm going to open source everything and publish and document it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to release this particular deck board. I might just to be like, hey, for folks who really want to experiment, um, you'll need to connect all the pins and ports together as you desire. Explorer board. But explore, yeah, maybe it's going to be ICN Explorer board. But um, this is for standard TTL. And then I also um, have a version for um, the other 40 pin uh, version, which um requires an onboard microcontroller to um set the spi commands to turn the display on there's like two standards apparently so well i'm learning a lot as yeah. doing this there's a lot of like this is so terrible for everyone how could they do this to human beings wait we could maybe fix this yeah Okay, questions. They're lined up. We're going to do this. Okay. Question, 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 question. Yeah. Here we go. Uh, what's the normal lifespan of a good relay? I think it's like 100,000, maybe 10,000 clicks. I don't know, but it's going to be in the data sheet for sure. Okay. It's like the mean time between failure. Um, you were working on some updates to the My Little Hacker Board. What's the latest um, of these getting into the store? The latest of these is um, Scott is wrapping up USB host, and then we're going to work on the Wi-Fi workflow. I want to get that a little bit better. Um, the board is like pretty much done. Um, the only thing is, you know, some people are like, oh, I had to, you know, we had bill smith had yeah. he got one and he's like oh i had to cut some of the plastic and so my thing is like should i try to redesign it to move the wi-fi module so you don't have to cut this little piece of plastic or just say like hey you gotta cut a piece of plastic yeah i don't know but okay we're sign we're, up i want to we'll give you updates when um it's close software and hardware okay work. um for the Adafruit IO SSL cert stuff, so the airlift, what do they need to do? They need to get another cert? Yes. So the root certificate changed this year, which was not expected. We didn't know that was going to happen. Um, normally, the root certificate does not change. Only the main SSL certificate changes, but nobody notices uh, because you have the root certificate, and so you have this chain of trust. Uh, but the root cert changed. It happens every 10, 15 years. This was the year it happened. So you'll need to update uh, if you're... Um, running an airlift and you want to use Adafruit IO, you'll need to update the Nina firmware, but there's a guide on how to do it. And I think we just did a release of 176. Um, so follow that tutorial to update the ESP32 and you'll be good for another 10 years. Okay. And then I saw that Jenny May was asking about um, a uh, music playing and an audio jack thing with uh, Raspberry, Raspberry Pi. It looks like they got help in the chat but if there's any follow-ups jenny um let us know in the chat you can also you know stop by in the forums or whatever but it looks like someone had answered your question okay. already um next up would we be interested in, or open to designing and manufacturing the official defcon badge in the future maybe it's one of those things where like 
we don't do contract manufacturing, but we're always interested in something. Maybe if it's super weird or it's using like an advanced chip, just yeah, let us know. We'll be. I started. It's an electronic badge this year. We guess we'll find. I don't know what the official badge is. Yeah. Um, but I'll give you one example. So the open source folks, they did an event. They contacted us like a couple of weeks right before the event. They're like, "Would you do a badge?" And it's like, there's just no time to. It it wouldn't be fair to our team, and it wouldn't be fair to them. So Joe Grant starts the year the when DefCon ends, he starts yeah. writing the next year's badge. But I feel like at this point, um, with the supply chain that's a little bit more reliable, I think you know if if you start now, the answer is closer to yes than if you ask us in June. Um, and then any updates on the Teddy Ruxpin hacking guide? Yeah, um, we have a bunch going on. Aaron, I know Dale is working on the. Dale Smith is working on his guide, and Erin is yeah. working on her guide, which is actually taking the innards of the Teddy Ruxpin and putting it into a different toy. Um, but yeah, that guide, the guides are actually being written like right now. It should be on in a couple weeks. Yeah. I did see someone on the socials. They, I think they're using our stuff to mod the eyes and also the voice and have like a pulsating uh like red eyes the the code is in github it's called snx rom it's in it's in our github if you just search for snx rom you can mess with it now and you can totally mess with it but we don't have step-by-step instructions yet okay and okay what's this i think i got to all the questions okay best of folks what a day it's been a day. yeah if i told y'all what was also going on just like regular running a business and then all the stuff that's happening in the world and then sometimes we get asked to to help out in some pretty gnarly situations and we do some i was telling uh, we we're in a meeting before the uh show started and uh i dated myself because i'm like do you ever see quantum leap and like scott bacula would like jump into this body in the past and try to make his all the wrongs in history right sometimes i feel like that and it's terrible because there's a lot of wrongs and um we try to fix them and everything but man um it's uh not great to see people be terrible to each other but i'm i'm glad uh we're able to help when we can um, sometimes it's a technology solution. Sometimes it's mediating a dispute. <laughs> sometimes it's saying, hey, like, you got to be better to one another. And I guess, uh, I guess it's, it's, it means something different when it but comes we, from the war army. I don't know. Are but we going to stop doing what we do? I'm going to stop doing what we're doing. But boy, it's been a week already. So we'll see everybody. Yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. This has been an Adafruit production. Whew. All I want is Wingstop. Wingstop. No, uh, we'll see everybody. Somebody named Squid in the chat. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Wade. Yeah. And uh, here's a moment of zinger. We get to each other.